The previous Mishnah talked about the different features of maturity that develop on a woman's body as she matures, from when she is the age of 12 years old, and these features develop in her lower private area and in her breast area. The Mishnah taught that at least according to the opinion of the Chachomim in the previous Mishnah, the features, the signs that are supposed to develop in the lower private area always come before the signs of maturity that develop in her private area higher up on her body. Now, the format in which the Mishnah presented this fact was that it's possible for the features to develop lower down before they develop higher up, but it's impossible for for them to develop higher up before they have developed lower down. And the next few Mishnayas, and really the majority of this parak, this chapter, are going to talk about things that are totally unrelated to the subject matter of the Masechta. However, their format is very similar to the format that was presented in the previous Mishnah, as we're going to see. Kaitzeboy, similar laws where we find a f- similar format of the teaching that is being given. That it's possible for one thing to exist without the other, but it's impossible for the second thing to exist without the first thing. Kaitz very similar to the previous format, Kolkli Cheres Machnis Moitzi, any earthenware utensil, earthenware container that allows water into it via a hole, Moitzi will allow water to come out of it, or will allow the liquid that is being held by the container to go out via that hole. However, there is a smaller hole than that that could allow water or the liquid that is being held in that container to leave via that hole, but it's too small for water to be able to enter into the container via that hole. A larger hole is required for allowing water to come into the container via that hole, whereas an even smaller hole is would, it would allow water to escape from the container, to leave, because that's the direction towards which the water pressure is pushing. Now, the halachic significance of these different sized holes is, firstly, if there is a earthenware container, the rule is that earthenware can only become tome if it is a container that can hold things. If a hole develops in such a container, then if it's the smaller sized hole that would allow water to escape, but water can't get in through that hole. In general, since it's such a small hole, people wouldn't throw away an earthenware utensil that developed such a small hole. So it's still considered to be a useful container, and because of that, it retains its significance and it is still able to become tome. On the other hand, if it develops a larger hole that would allow water to come through into the container via that hole, usually people consider that hole to be more significant, and they would usually just get rid of the container if it had a hole of that size, which means that it loses its significance and usefulness that people might ascribe to it, and because of that, it no longer has the halachic status of a kli, a significant useful container, and as such, it cannot become tome. Now, it should be noted that if there is a shard of earthenware that is broken off of a whole earthenware container, as long as it can still hold a small amount of liquid or whatever it may be, it would still be able to become tome. However, as soon as it develops even a smaller hole in this case, it would lose its status of a clee. Since anyway, it's just a shard of earthenware, so even a tiny hole would already 
remove its significance and usefulness from it, and people would certainly just throw it away, and therefore it would no longer be able to become Tommy. One more ramification of these different sized holes is with regards to the Pora Aduma solution. If a person or an item becomes Tommy from a dead body, the way to be purified is by being sprinkled with the solution made up of spring water together with the ashes of a Pora Aduma. Now, when the ashes are added to the water, this is a procedure called Kiddush, and it must be done whilst the water is inside of a kli, inside of a container that has significance, and the mission is hinting to the fact that if there is a hole in that container, it would invalidate it from being considered a kli only if it's the larger hole that would even allow water to come in to the container via that hole. But if it's only a smaller hole that just allows water to escape, then it would still have the status of a kli, and it could be used for this procedure of kedush. The second example of the Mishnah is with regards to a part of a human body that is able to transfer impurity to anybody or anything that is underneath the same roof as the human body. And the truth is, we don't need an entire human body for this to be the case. Even a small amount of a kazais, the size of an olive, of the flesh of a human body would transfer impurity to any person or any item that is underneath the same roof as it. In fact, if there is an entire limb, the definition of a limb being that it contains flesh, sinews, and bones, then even if it is less than a kazais, the size of an olive, it still has enough significance that it would be able to transfer impurity to any person or any item that is underneath the same roof. This transfer of impurity is called Tumas Oihel, now, the mission is talking about a person who had an extra finger on his hand, and since this is an irregular limb, in order for it to have the status of a limb, it's not sufficient that it has bone, flesh, and sinews. It also needs to be like a regular finger in that it must contain the nail of the finger as well. And the Mishnah teaches that any limb like that, an extra finger that has a nail, it can be assumed that it also has a bone. We don't need to go looking and checking for the bone. If it has a nail, it's assumed that it also contains a bone. However, yes, yes, but it's, um, there are cases where such an extra finger might have a bone, but the Einbeitsepoiren, it doesn't have a nail. So even if you see that it has a bone, if you don't see the nail on it, then you can't assume that it has a nail, because there are such fingers that do not have a nail and they only have the bone, and in that case, it would not transfer impurity via Tumas Oihel to anything underneath the same roof. But if it was the other way around, if we saw the nail and we didn't see the bone, we can assume that there is a bone and it would transfer impurity to any person or any item underneath the same roof. And again, this transfer of impurity is called Tumas Oihel. Mishnah Gimel, whilst we're on the topic of transfers of impurity, this Mishnah talks about the transfer of Tumas Midras. There are certain people who have a high level of impurity, for example, a Zov or a Zova, a Nida is also one of them. If their weight is supported upon a item whose purpose is designated for something like this that supports their weight, for example, a chair or a bed, the purpose of those items is for somebody to sit on or to lie on. If somebody with this high level of impurity sits or lies on the chair or the bed, even if he doesn't directly touch the chair or the bed, he would make the chair or the bed an avhatuma, which is a primary, very high level of impurity, the same level actually as the zov himself. Usually when tuma is transferred onwards to something else, it goes down a level, and it's slightly less impure than the thing that made it tome. 
However, this unique transfer of Tomas Midras causes the bed or the chair that becomes Tomei from the Zov or somebody on that level of Tumar to also become Tomei on that primary high level of an Av HaTumar. Now, as we mentioned, this entire unique transfer of impurity only applies to items whose purpose is for something that supports the weight of a person, like a bed, like a chair. With regards to all other types of transfers of impurity, we don't find such a condition. And so the Mishnah notes that kolamitame midros, mitame meis, anything that can become tome via tumas midros can also become tome from a dead body and by any other regular transfer of impurity. In order for the other types of impurity to apply, all we need is that it's considered to be a useful item, a kli. Sometimes it needs to be that it can hold and contain things as well. But the main idea is that it's a useful item. So a bed and a chair, they can become tome via those regular transfers of impurity, for example, becoming tome from a dead body. On the other hand, there are many items that can become tome from a dead body, or they can become tome with any other type of impurity, but they cannot become tome via this unique tuma transfer of tumas midras, because that only applies to something whose purpose is for supporting the weight of a person. Anybody who is fit to be a dayan, a judge, for a capital case, if somebody committed a sin for which the punishment is being killed by the bastin, the court, he needs to be judged by a bastin which consists of 23 judges. And anybody who is fit to be a judge on such a bastin, ro'oi lodin dinin momnus, he is fit to judge a monetary case as well. A monetary case really just requires three judges, a much smaller base than a much smaller court. On the other hand, there are certain people who are fit and they are allowed to judge monetary cases, but they are not fit to judge capital cases and be a part of a 23-member based in. And this is based on that which is learned from Psukim, that only people with pure lineage, regular Jews, who are not converts or descendants from converts, and they were born from permitted relations, only somebody like that is fit to judge a capital case. On a similar note, anybody who is fit to be a Dayan, to be a judge on a base din, he is also valid to be a witness. However, there are certain people who would be a valid witness. They can give testimony with regards to a particular case in court, but they would not be fit or valid to judge the case and be part of the based in. The Gemara explains that we are talking about somebody who is blind in one eye, and at least according to the opinion of this Mishnah, it might be an argument, but at least according to this Mishnah, it's learned from Pesukim that just like somebody who checks Tzara'as, which is a particular skin disease, certain spots that appear on one's skin, usually as a punishment for having sinned. And this saras can make a person tome, and when such spots appear on one's skin, he needs to go to a koyen for the koyen to examine and confirm whether or not it is saras. And the Torah teaches that if the koyen is blind, even in just one eye, he is unable to issue a verdict with regards to that saras. And this mission is coming to teach that the same applies to a judge. If he is blind in one eye, then at least according to the opinion of this Mishnah, he would not be a valid judge. This would be true even with monetary cases, anything that requires a based in.
Any food from which one is obligated to separate tithes and give those portions, those tithes, to a clean or a levy or a poor person. Such food can become tome with the unique impurity that applies specifically to foods. However, there are many foods that can become tome with that type of impurity, but that food would not be obligated in tithes, meaning one who wants to eat that food would not need to separate tithes from it, because like the Mishnah at the beginning of Maseches Maestros teaches, the entire obligation of tithes applies specifically to food that grows from the ground. There are also possibly some other conditions, it must be that it is owned, it's not ownerless, but the main condition is that it must grow from the ground. Whereas for food to become tome with this type of impurity that applies specifically to food, there is no need for that food to have grown from the ground.